I'm going to speak to you today a little bit about ownership. Right? Ownership is, is a good thing, isn't it? Somebody say, yes, it is. It certainly is. The thing about transitioning from ownership to ownership, from being a renter or a leaser, there are some things that happen, right? I would imagine ministers Al and Liz know a little something about that now because they just picked up a place in uh, way out in outer space, but still they own their own now. Where is it, Poughkeepsie? Somers. No clue where that is. Well, praise God, they are now owners. And their two children are very comfortable. If you don't know their children, they are very hairy and they look like Yorkie Terriers. But, you know, something changes when you own. You become concerned with things that you were never concerned with before. Um, you know, you, you worry about things like, you know, who's moving into the neighborhood, right? Because that could mean that um, it might, you know, possibly devalue your home. Uh, matter of fact, some of us may even find ourselves uh, signing up to become, uh, you know, Neighborhood Watch committee members. And we'll be out there with our flashlights late at night. Just looking for people that are doing bad things in their neighborhood, right? Would you do that as a renter? Probably not, because you don't have anything invested. Mm. Um, what other kinds of things do you worry about? Termites. Termites are fun, aren't they? They're adorable. They've got too many legs and too many microscopic teeth to be cute. We worry about termites as homeowners. Because they can literally eat your home up from the, from the inside out. And, you know, one day you may be sitting in the, in the dining room with your family eating uh, delicious pepperoni pizza. No, I didn't say that. I meant a vegetable and salmon, baked salmon dinner. And find yourself all of a sudden in the basement. What the heck just happened? And you find that their termites have eaten a hole in, your, in the bottom of your dining room floor. Termites are very interesting. Right? They eat wood. It's kind of interesting. Wood, you know, you know what wood represents in the Bible? It represents humanity. That's something interesting to think about. I'll throw another one at you. Termites, I don't think, can eat through gold. Gold represents deity. I think if we're careful to make sure that we, um, that we invite God, that um, little creatures can't come in and eat away at our humanity and destroy our foundation. That was a little code for those of you who are paying attention. But very quickly, I just want to play a video for you. And... Um, if you will just make sure that my microphone stays on during the video, it's kind of important. All right? So go ahead and run that video. Come on. We don't have sound. Partake in that right of home ownership in that I am going to spray a wasp's nest uh, with pesticide. Had to do this once before and it didn't go too well. So we'll see how this one goes. Um, 
Uh, this woman owns this home, and she has a, a nest oh, of wasps. Oh, there is the nest, if you can see it. Uh, and so I'm just going to take this spray very quickly. And I'm scared. Oh, I think I see them. Okay. And then I'm going to run. I'm just going to spray, and then I'm going to go and spray. Okay, um, I think I'm okay. Alright, I'm just gonna stand here in the front yard for a little while and wait. As an owner, you can shut it off. Okay. As an owner, you will find yourself doing things you never thought you'd be doing. Now, if this woman was renting, she would be calling the landlord who would take care of it who would most likely call a specialist. Nobody wants to mess with wasps. But when you own something, it becomes important to square things away yourself. Amen? Because you own it. Praise God. Can we all just stand for a moment? And give me a Joshua chapter 5. that time the Lord said to Joshua make flint lives for yourself and circumcise the sons of Israel again the second time I know most of you are thinking what the heck by the time we leave today you'll get it master we thank you for this day and for this time we thank you for the fellowship and for the worship that has taken place in this place we thank you Lord God because we know your spirit and your love is ever-present Father, we just want to take a moment today and worship you and honor you and discuss your word. And Father, we surrender completely the service to you. We surrender everything that happens in it. I pray that I would not speak, but that you would speak through me. And if at any time you want to take over, take over, Lord God. We belong to you. This place belongs to you. This service belongs to you. Put us on your agenda, Father, and have your way in this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. You may be seated hallelujah glory to God so in thinking about ownership I started thinking about well where, we, where can we identify um, when somebody became owners of something or when God gave something substantial like property to someone and it took me back to the book of Joshua and the children of Israel to the point where they were just about to cross the River Jordan into the land of Canaan. How many are familiar with the story? Raise your hand if you are familiar with the story. Okay. So I'll explain a little bit in detail. So if you've ever seen like the, the movie The Ten Commandments, right, where the, is, the children of Israel were slaves in Egypt, and God delivered them. They make their way, and they send out ten spies, and you know the ten spies come back, and they say there are giants in the land, and they're going to take us out. And we're going to, you know, we're like grasshoppers to them. And uh, two of them spoke out and said, No, God is going to give us this land. And now the land in question is the land that God had promised Abraham 
many, many, many years before them. And so this was the fulfillment of God's promise to this one man, Abraham. And so just as they're about to walk into the land, they make a terrible mistake and they don't believe or trust God. And they don't go in. So the consequence was they got lost in the desert for 40 years when the trip should have taken just a couple of days. 40 years should have taken a couple of days. Just now, I saw a little bubble pop up over your heads, and you thought, that sucks. Well, yeah, it does. 40 years as opposed to a couple of days. Hmm. And so, everyone that was in that nation that traveled out of Egypt over the course of the 40 years died off in the desert or in the wilderness as it's known. And so they finally reach the place where they're about to cross after the 40 years is over. They're about to cross the River Jordan to move into the Promised Land. And Moses goes up to Mount Nebo and God says, hey, take a look, you know, this is the land that I promised Abraham. This is the land that I promised to you, but, you know, you're just going to see it. You're not going to go into it. Moses passes on and he leaves his second in command, Joshua. Right? Everybody say Joshua. This is an important dude. Very important dude in the Bible. So now Joshua is the, is the successor to Moses, and he is the one commissioned to lead the children of Israel into Canaan, the promised land. The land that you know God described as flowing with milk and honey. Now, I don't know about you, but I wouldn't mind going to a land where it flowed with milk and honey. That sounds pretty good to me. I want to go. And so <clears throat> Joshua, God speaks to Joshua and gives him a list of directions. And he tells him, you know, meditate on my word day and night. I'm sure you've all heard pastor, you know, speak on this many times. Meditate on my word and you're going to find yourself successful, right? Um, our world today would say, you know, that is the secret, Right? The, the new age belief of meditating on something, you know, and getting what you want. That's a lie of the devil because they don't give credit to God for the actual principle that they draw this knowledge from. But see, God said, meditate on my word and you're going to find your way successful. And so now they send out some spies to take, care, to, to take a look into the land, to take a look into the first city, Jericho which was this massive fortress, impenetrable, right? Could not be penetrated. No army could come in and take it. And so the spies meet this, um, this woman named Rahab, and she kind of gives them the inside track and allows them to come in and spy the land and then take out and then take off. God makes a promise to Joshua and says, go in. And, uh, you know, he gives them some very specific destruction, uh, instructions about walking around, the walls of Jericho a certain amount of times and on the last day they would blow trumpets and shout and the walls would crumble. And so that happened, right? But, but backtrack, to backtrack before that happened, something very important happened. And thinking about where we are in our journey from renters to owners, um, I thought about a place called Gilgal. Everybody say Gilgal. All right. Gilgal is a very interesting place. 
God led Joshua and the army of Israel to a hill um, named Gilgal. At the time, it wasn't named Gilgal. It was named something else. In the scripture, we don't find the precedent for the actual name before it became Gilgal. But there's a reference in the scripture that names it, uh, I believe it's Gibeath Heyerarath. <laughs> Can you say that? Don't even try. And that's Hebrew for Hill of the Foreskins. Everybody say ill. That's pretty gross. But it's just a reference. It's just what somebody had called it. And up till today, uh, up till yesterday, actually, I thought it was, you know, the, the literal translation for Gilgal. But it's not. I know, ladies, it's silly. It's gross. But don't worry, I'm going somewhere with it. <laughs> and so Gilgal was not actually called, translated Gilgal is not uh, Hill of the Foreskins, but it's actually, uh, I'll read to you what it means. I got this from a Hebrew website called uh, com. The name Gilgal comes from the Hebrew verb meaning to roll some object on or upon or away. In a figurative sense, it is used in ideas like to roll oneself onto the Lord, meaning to put one's trust in him. So Gilgal doesn't mean hill of the foreskins. It means, in the literal sense, to put your trust in the Lord. And so you can imagine what happened at Gilgal. Let's go back to the text. Joshua chapter 5. Right. So we read this one. Go to the next. So Joshua made flint lives for himself and circumcised the sons of Israel at the hill of the foreskins. And so all the men, and I, I'm, I'm pretty sad to see we don't have more men in the audience today. But fellas, this one's rough. But of the nation that died off in the wilderness, they were under a covenant with God that started with Abraham. And part of that covenant was being circumcised. And since they all had died off in the desert, they had to reinstitute, or God wanted to reinstitute this covenant. That's very interesting because they're moving into a new land. They're moving into the land that was promised to Abraham many, many years before that. So now these men were responsible for repopulating or for populating the land of Canaan, the land that ultimately was their home. And so you might question... Why the heck would this be so important? Well, keep this in mind. I'm going to say this real quick. Uh, it's something that we use when we read Old Testament and New Testament, right? One could say that the Old Testament is the New Testament revealed, and the New Testament is the Old Testament concealed. And so when we read things in the Old Testament, they are written for, our, for examples for us to look and understand them. Usually things done in the, in the physical sense are then done in the spiritual sense in the New Testament. So we're looking at Old Testament now. And so now we look at the process of circumcision. Now, you have to remember that these men lived in the desert. Is it cold in the desert? Yes? Maybe at night. 
But during the day, it's very hot and sweaty. Nice shirt, bro. <laughs> See, women would be upset. He's my best friend forever. And so it's very hot. And do, do I need to describe what happens underneath a man's clothes when it's hot? Funklicious. I'm thinking Parliament Funkadelic. We want the funk. Stinklicious. And so I'm glad that we had Children's Church, by the way. Um, so in that area of the body, it becomes filled with bacteria. And, and when a man looks to transfer his seed to the woman, there is a possibility or a strong chance that that bacteria may be mingled in with the seed and cause deformity, perhaps even sickness. Let that simmer for a sec. When the man passes the seed on to the woman, there's the opportunity for that bacteria to get into the seed and deform the seed which will in turn deform the child. Probably even pass on sickness. Men, are we paying attention? Now, in understanding that we're looking at natural things and translating them to spiritual in the New Testament, we are the church of the New Testament, we need to be careful that as we're moving into our new place, into the place that God has given us to be our own, to be our home, we have to be careful to take the proper and necessary steps to be sure that when we are planting seeds and when we are uh, giving others the gospel of salvation that we are not transferring deformed and sick seed. We have to be careful because this stage of Calvary Christian Fellowship's history is our Gilgal. This is our Gilgal. This is where we get the cutting away of the stuff that might harm what God's future destiny and plan is for us. Amen? Come on, I'm speaking to somebody here today. We need to be careful that we're not passing on deformed seed. That we are not sharing the gospel in an erroneous way or in a way that is disapproved of by the Lord himself. Or even carrying some of our own baggage in when we're transferring the, uh, the knowledge of the gospel of God to somebody else. Or maybe even making sure that we're living the right lifestyle as we're preaching it. Somebody didn't like me to say that, but I'm going to say it. Somebody say, we got to be living right. Amen. Later on, God tells the children of Israel that he rolled away the reproach of Egypt. What does that mean? The word reproach means disapproval of. Or, you know, kind of a... You know how when they say your reputa reputation precedes you? You know, people can hear about you before you show up sometimes. And they have a picture created in their mind of who you are and what you're all about. And so when God tells the children of Israel that he's rolled away the reproach of Egypt, he's saying to them that, that whole idea that you guys were slave, slaves in Egypt, I've wiped it away now. People are going to look at you a little bit different. People are going to behave a little bit differently about, around you. There's a different uh, thing about you now. How do you know that's true? 
Because when the spies went to Jericho to spy out the land and they met Rahab, Rahab said, these people are terrified of you. They're scared of you. They're shaking in their boots. They heard about when God had parted the Red Sea and you walked through dry land. And how, the Pharaoh, how Pharaoh and his army died in, in, the midst of that, uh, in the midst of the water. They're scared of you. They've heard about what God does for you. Mm. So they weren't thinking, oh, these slaves from Egypt are coming on the scene. They're thinking, God is going to take us out. And, and so God literally tells Joshua, I have done away or rolled away or rolled back the reproach or the disapproval or that bad stigma of my people. Amen? Amen. Somebody say that things are going to change when we own. Some things have to change before we own. Another thing that happened was when they got to the land, they got to Gilgal, <clears throat> they started eating food that was from the land. Right? So now, that whole 40-year period that they were lost in the desert, well, they weren't lost. God knew where they were. But they were kind of wandering around in circles. <clears throat> Literally. They got to Gilgal and they, they started eating the produce of the land. They started eating food from the land. And so the whole way that, the way that God sustained the children of Israel in the, in the wilderness and the desert was he sent bread from heaven. Everybody say manna. It's not just a Hispanic rock band. It's literally, they got the name from the Bible and manna is bread from heaven. Right? They would wake up in the morning and bread would just be outside. And they'd go out and collect it and they'd eat and they'd be full. And there'd be enough. Right? So it doesn't matter. You know, I, I heard Elder Ross speaking a little bit about worrying about you know, your finances and this kind of thing. There's biblical precedent, precedence to show that God takes care of his people. And if it doesn't look like physically something can manifest itself, it doesn't, if it doesn't look like you can pay for something, you may find yourself set up for a beautiful circumstance where God can show himself amazing and show his miracle and show his power and strength through, through supplying your need, dropping it literally from heaven. Amen? All right. Somebody better believe that because it's true. I've seen it in my own life. Hallelujah. So now, manna, the day they started eating from the land, manna ceased. They no longer had that sustenance from God. They had arrived at their place of destination, and now they were going to eat from their own land. They were going to have to labor for it. They were going to have to deal with some calluses and some bunions and, you know, rakes and... and uh, I forget what those things are called that you put on the donkey's shoulders. And, and, and so they were going to have to work for their food now. Interesting. You would think that now they've arrived at the promised land, that everything was just going to be there for, him, for them. Not. Pastor received the word last week at our men's fellowship. And if you weren't at the men's fellowship, I'm so sorry. Because it was really cool. It was really cool. Brother Lee is like the master of the universe when it comes to fishing lures. He pulled out this collection of fishing lures that were just like 
insane. Some of them looked like real fish. I thought it was going to start flopping around on the table. And he made them with his own hands. But after he showed us um, his uh, fishing lures, he actually prophesied over every man in the church. That day he had a word from the Lord. Um, and one, he spoke to pastor at one point, and he had mentioned to pastor how God was saying that there was a time period where it was okay to kind of, and, and I'll, I'll kind of say it in a, in a loose term so that you can get a picture in your mind, but it, the days of skating in the park are over, that it's going to take a little bit more uh, in order to be able to fulfill his purposes in this church, right? And so Pastor received it. I forgot what the term was exactly that, that Lee used. Pastor actually reiterated afterwards. But God had said that there were some things that we kind of missed in this building that we cannot miss in that other building. And God was saying that some things have to change before we get over there because what was okay here is not going to be okay over there. We're going to be in a very different place. We may even have to, should I say it, work a little bit harder. Oh, snap. Tony, don't say things like that. Bring pastor back. This brother's preaching wrong. <laughs> and so that manna experience, I believe, for our church is going to pass. And we're going to have to feed ourselves. And, you know, some of the crybabies that kind of, you know, caused people to, uh, you know, criticize the pastor and criticize, criticize the leadership and criticize one, an one another, they may find themselves dying off in the wilderness while the rest of us who are with it can move forward and move on into the promised land. Praise God. Are you hearing me today? Glory to God. Glory to God. Praise God. And so finally, one last thing happens, which I found to be extraordinary. Now, I had read this scripture like a million times before. If we can go to the end of uh, Joshua 5, like the last two verses, the last two verses of chapter 5, I think it was, I think it was there. Joshua 4, uh, 5, 14, and 15. Hallelujah. Come on. The last two verses, 14 and 15. 14 y 15, por favor. Here we go. No. 5, 14. Chapter 5, verse 14 important everybody see it go back one further 13 through 15 now this is a very interesting scripture and it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted his eyes and looked now this was just before he went to Jericho just before they started walking around the territory, just before they shouted and the walls came down. This is just before it, before the first battle ever even took place. 
mind you, everything that I discussed thus far was before even the first battle took place. Because later on in the book of Joshua, you'll see that Joshua and the Israelites, they kicked butt. Literally. They had to work to actually take over the land of Canaan. God had promised it to them, but there was some work involved. They were able to rout each and every army that stood before them. This was the first. This is where it all started. And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho, they were preparing, that he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, a man stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? So he said, No, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? Now let's look at something very quickly. It was a man standing there with a sword in his hand. Joshua did not recognize him. And he asked him, Are you for us or are you for them? Am I going to meet you in the battlefield and you're going to fight against me or are you going to help us take over Jericho? And the man said, No, I'm for neither. It says no here, but essentially what he's saying, it's neither one of you guys. Look at the last verse. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? Now let's take a look at this. There are instances in the Old Testament where we find theophanies of God. Let me explain. A theophany of God is when God reveals himself to man in the form of an angel. Right? There are other instances where angels come on the scene. Sometimes those theophanies can be referred to as angel of the Lord, the angel of the Lord. But other times there are just angels that show up on the scene and they proclaim something. They give information. And so in the instances where the angels show up that are not uh, a representation of God or not God manifesting himself, when people fell and worshipped at their feet, they would stop them and say, no, 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 I am not God. Stand up. Get up off your face. Don't worship me. Worship God. And so with the, the theophanies of God, it's okay to worship him because it's God showing up. Now, the theophanies of God usually show up as an angel. But in this instance, it said that it was a man. What the heck does that mean? What does that mean? God himself shows up. It's, now, it doesn't say it exactly that way, but it's widely believed amongst theologians. And if you just kind of think about it, it's Jesus Christ showing up on the scene himself now why does he say I'm not here for you and I'm not here for the other guy I believe that Jesus the commander or another translation says the captain of the Lord of, of the Lord's host or God's army Jesus Christ shows up himself and is looking to handle what Joshua could not handle in the physical I believe that the Lord was there to show up and do battle on Joshua's behalf to handle the fight that Joshua could not see. See, because it's already a fixed fight. In the natural, now I'm going to get deep for a second. 
that necessarily doesn't hold back demons from trying to thwart things and try to mess things up in the spiritual because the spiritual can affect the natural in certain ways. So I believe that God showed up to fight the battle that Joshua could not see. I believe that as we're moving from our Gilgal into our home, that God is assuring us that he will step in and fight the battle that we cannot see with our physical eyes. And he himself will show up. Now, there are some, some Christian sects that don't want to acknowledge you know, deep spiritual things. They don't want to say that demons are real, but demons are real. They're angels that God perverted, that, that God jacked up. Now, I'll name another fact. When Lucifer was sent out of heaven, we read that a third of the angels went with him. So that means, and I suck at math, but that means that for every one demon, there's two uh, holy angels to beat him down when we find ourselves in trouble. I think that's good math too. <laughs> Listen, anything that's unholy or anti-God or anti-Christ or anything that you can think of that you may have thought that you may have been afraid of at one time or another from a horror movie, God can deal can do away with any of that in, a, in just a second. And in fact, he's so awesome that he doesn't even need angels to fight for him. He showed up with a sword in his hand, ready to do battle. Is that amazing or what? What do we have to fear? What do we have to be afraid of? We're moving into a territory. We're moving into a place that we are going to own. The enemy is going to up the ante and try to take us out. And I'm going to tell you right now, it starts with the families. Uh, Bishop Matero was here recently and said that the church, if you can define the church in a, in a way, he says that the church is a family of families. And the enemy is going to be coming after our families. We can walk the neighborhoods with our flashlights in the, in the physical, but are we walking the neighborhood at night with our flashlight in the spiritual and praying for one another and praying for one another's families? Are we praying for these young ladies' families? Why aren't their families here with them? We need to start praying for one another. We need to take this brother and sister idea seriously. Amen? We need to, when they're having problems, we need to go to their house and show up and pray with them. Instead of sitting at home watching YouTube videos. I'm preaching out, I'm, I'm, I'm calling myself out here. That's right. I'm guilty. How do you think I got that video? <laughs> There's a saying that's pretty popularized by commercials, by TV commercials. Um... What is it? What's it? What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, right? But God's kingdom is not like the kingdom of men. I said God's kingdom is not like the kingdom of men. What happens at Gilgal determines the success of the nation, determines the victory and the outcome of the nation. What happens in our Gilgal determines the victory and the success and the fulfillment of God's purposes for this church. We are currently at our Gilgal. This is where we need to start looking for the termites. This is where we need to start looking 
for those things that will cause our seed to have uh, bacteria in it that will transfer sickness and illness to other Christians, to other baby Christians who might not be able to be discipled correctly because we have done something or said something or behaved some way that completely damaged their view of Christianity. We need to be careful. This is our Gilgal. Are we willing to allow ourselves to be circumcised? In another translation, um, there was a, a slight difference. There were three, three, three flint knives. Three flint knives that were used. Right? New King James didn't say it, but I believe the, the message says that there were th make yourself three flint knives and have the men come before you, have the, have the men come before you and circumcise them. Why three? Numbers have a lot of meaning sometimes. And I'm sure somebody else can come up with another thing, but I believe it was three flint knives because God wants total submission to him, body, soul, and spirit. Three. If we put our trust in God, if we here at Gilgal put our trust in God and try to do away with the junk in our lives, try to do away with what's going to hold us down, if we leave it here before we get to the new place, there's a possibility we can see God's glory fall on CCF like never before. Amen? Amen? Now, I apologize to some of you who are here for the first time because you may not know our history, but there have been several instances, even while, I'm, uh, while I've been here, I've been, I got here in October 2004. I've seen a lot of people come and go. And I believe it's because they were very comfortable with their termites. Oh, snap. Did he just say that? I believe they had a pocket full of termites. And that's okay. Because God will deal with them. And, you know, and not everybody left on bad terms. There are people that left to do great and wonderful things that left on good terms. You've seen them stand up front and we've prayed for them. God, and uh, Pastor Victor gave them their blessing. But let's not walk into the new building with a pocket full of termites, ladies and gentlemen. Let's be sure to bring God in with us so that there's nothing for the termites to eat even if they do sneak through. Is somebody hearing me today? This, this time period, this place where we are is Gilgal. The place where we trust in the Lord. It's also the place where we surrender what we, you know, for us men, surrender our manhood. And we may get cut, we may bleed a little bit, and it'll take a little while to heal up. But when we're done, we have the promise of God to sustain us, to keep us, to protect us, to fight our battles. Amen? Praise God. I wonder if there's anybody here today that may have some issues that they want to release to God today. I wonder if there's anybody sitting here today that, that can remember a time when they may be sowed some words of discord amongst the brethren in our church. Not saying any names, not pointing out anybody. Or there may even be things in your life that you know God disapproves of that nobody knows about. That you know you've got to get rid of that junk. You've got to clean out your closet. And I'm not talking about the Eminem song. 
I'm talking about clean out the closet of the junk that's in your life that you know is hindering, from, hindering you from seeing the power of God manifest itself in your life. That includes me. You think because I'm the guy with the mic in the hand, I got it all together and I'm perfect? Absolutely not. I'm sure my wife has a whole list of things she could show you. I love you, baby. Don't show them that list, okay? No one is exempt. No one is exempt. No one is exempt. We're human. No one is exempt. It is by the grace of God that we can be saved.